Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, June 6th, 2017, and I'm your host, Ariel Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. We have two Starseed Quests to Arkansas coming up. The first one is in August, uh, the 18th to the 21st, for the Harmonic Convergence, and there will be a total solar eclipse as well as a new moon for that one. The second one is for Pleiadian Lineup, and that's November 17 through 20, and another new moon for that one as well. Our Starseed quests seem to be escalating to a new higher level each time, and it's wonderful to have so many returning. More than half of our last group were alumni. So this is a soul family reunion, and only Starseeds with at least one natal star marking at galactic degree are eligible. This event, event has been redesigned to cover four days, making it much more affordable than the week-long quests were. So for more info, please write to crystals, that is plural, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-S, at starseedhotline.com. We're happy to welcome Julie Lohr back to our show. Julie's mission is to help modern people understand ancient wisdom and the hidden history of planet Earth. She is the multiple award-winning author of six books and dozens of articles, and her books have been translated into several languages. She has a bachelor's degree in psychology, has done postgraduate work, and has been certified in numerous professional training and development programs. She studied and taught astrology and tarot for more than 40 years. Her latest book, Goddesses for Every Day, Exploring the Wisdom and Power of the Divine Feminine Around the World has won three national awards. Her popular astrology feature appears in Atlantis Rising magazine, and she's been a featured contributor on John Edwards' website, InfiniteQuest.com, where she had her own Internet TV show. Her blog also appears on the global site Satyama.com, and Satyama is spelled S like Sam, A-T-I-A-M-A.com. She's traveled to sacred sites around the world researching the material for her books and teachings. And her latest project, which we can't wait to hear about, is a board game based on the heroic journey and universal archetypes. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest to starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. And we would like to thank Jada and Tammy for hosting the switchboard tonight for anyone who has a question for our guest. Check out our online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com. And it's a safe place to connect with other Starseeds, thanks to Tammy's dedication and help with our forum. You can download our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk. If you'd like to show your support of our program, please click follow on our page here at Blog Talk and you'll get our weekly show notices. The toll-free number for StarseedHotline.com is 888-881-0881. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings in your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. 
For those who need healing of any kind, whether emotional, physical, spiritual, for yourself or your pets, Tammy's powerful remote sessions will make a difference. And if you have a birthday coming up, you don't want to miss out on your 10 hours of power, do you? You can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. And please remember, if you want an interpretation of that chart, you'll need to order it two or three months ahead of time because we do have a waiting list. So first this evening, I would like to introduce Anastasia with her wonderful, fascinating Starseed News. Yay, Anastasia! <laughs> Good evening, Ariel. Good evening, everyone. It's great to be with you. Well, we have a slight uh, chance of solar flares coming up. Uh, it was just today that NOAA forecasters say that there's a 10% chance of M-class flares from Sunspot AR2661. They say this has an unstable delta-class magnetic field. And if this sunspot does explode, the resulting flare, they say, would be geo-effective because the sunspot is right now directly facing our planet. And guess what? There's a daytime meteor shower going on. This week, Earth is passing through a stream of debris from an unknown source. And the encounter is causing a meteor shower in broad daylight. An wow. unknown source. Ooh, that's very mysterious. Now, the shooting yeah. stars are mostly invisible to the human eye. And uh, they say, oddly to me, that the sh- astronomers know the shower is underway because the meteors are reflecting radio waves. And according to data from Canada, Canada's meteor orbit radar, there is a hot spot of activity right now in the constellation Aries, not far from the sun. So there you have it. Hmm. Well, NASA's astronomers are very perplexed over a mysterious deep hole on Mars. <clears throat> now, NASA's Mars Recon- Reconnaissance Orbiter has revealed something that scientists say they just can't explain. And while Mars, uh, its entire surface, is pockmarked with various depressions and craters, they say a vast pit that has been spotted among the Swiss cheese terrain of the cro- uh, frozen carbon dioxide on the surface of Mars that appears to be deeper than your average hole. And astronomers are trying to figure out how it got there. There's been a lot of earthquakes since we last talked or last aired. Uh, magnitude 5.9 quake hit off the coast of Papua New Guinea. Um, this was according to the USGS that happened uh, on Saturday. They say that it was unlikely to cause casualties and damage. <clears throat> In fact, there have been no reports of that and no tsunami warning was issued. And uh, in Alaska, there was a shallow 6.8 earthquake that struck near the Aleutian Islands. Um, it struck actually in the Bering Sea between the American and Russian islands. No tsunami warnings were issued with that one either. They say it was northwest of Attu Island in Alaska or 168 miles southeast of Bering Island in Russia. struck at about a depth of 19 miles, making it a relatively shallow earthquake. And there, just today, there was a 5.6 earthquake that struck Ecuador's southern border with Peru. Now, that while this uh, part of South America, they say, is not heavily populated, there, the shaking from this quake was felt in the city of Guayaquil, which is home to 3.5 million people. Now, based on reports coming in from South America about this quake, they say two people have been injured and minor damage was reported. 
I say that there'll be probably likely uh, more information coming in on this. It just happened today. And we've had a couple of eruptions. Actually, we've had several. Uh, the Maripu, Maripi, excuse me, Maripai, maybe, <laughs> the Maripai volcano in West Sumatra, Indonesia, erupted a couple of days ago. It spewed clouds of volcanic ash over the region. Now, according to the uh, volcanology department there, it erupted twice. The first eruption generated a 300-meter-high plume of smoke from the peak, while the second one spewed ash much higher at around 700 meters all the way from the mountain top. And in the Philippines, Mount Bulasan has erupted. Um, it has also uh, released uh, gas and uh, rumbling sounds. Uh, they're calling this a phreatic eruption, which is driven by steam produced by heat and expansion of groundwater uh, underneath the volcano. They say that the eruption uh, could not be observed visually due to thick clouds covering the summit, but they say traces of ash and sulfur and so on were reported. So anyway, they say that in the past 24 hours, Mount Bulasan has generated three volcanic earthquakes. Wow. And the Sakurajima volcano has erupted in southwestern Japan. Um, according to the uh, agency there, the volcano agency there, uh, it was, uh, let's see here, What what is the, you know what, they don't even say what the, uh, okay. Well, they're saying, reporting that it, it uh, released ash and smoke that billowed about 3,200 meters into the sky. And uh, they are saying that similar eruptions could occur. Not much news on this, just happened. So we'll have to keep our ear to the ground on that. No reports of injury or damage, however. And tornadoes in odd places. A tornado touched down near three hills in Alberta, Canada. That seems to be something that startled people greatly. Uh, touched off an emergency alert. I think there was minimal damage, but it actually did touch down. And they had a mini-tornado that wrecked the Cornhall Highland Games in Scotland. They had a game going on, an outdoor game in a village in Cornhill near Banff, Scotland. They were out there playing in the field Saturday. And after a spell of beautiful sunshine, a storm blew in, tore up the park, uh, ripped everything up. They say no one was hurt, uh, but people were terrified because there was a terrific noise like a freight train. It said just 10 minutes before they had a beautiful day, and then there was torrential downpour and a, a tornado touchdown in Scotland. So, wow. odd, odd. <clears throat> and sadly, in Puget Sound, the state of Washington, there has been a massive fish kill. It's being blamed on a recent holiday weekend of hot weather. Uh, thousands of anchovies have washed up on the shores, and uh, they say the people who live along that beach say this started showing this fish started showing up a couple of days ago. Well, are you planning on going to the Gulf of Mexico, maybe the Gulf side of Florida, maybe the Gulf along some of the U.S. states? I don't know. Are you planning on heading out that way, do a little mm -mm, swimming? Not me. <laughs> no. Well, yeah. Okay, good choice. Well, according to Live Science, a man has died after his tattoo became infected with the flesh-eating bacteria from the Gulf of Mexico. This guy was 31 years old. He went swimming in the Gulf of Mexico, and his tattoo became infected with flesh-eating bacteria that live in the ocean water. Now, the man had recently gotten a tattoo on his right calf, and despite the advice, the common advice, the parents 
apparently published advice to avoid swimming for a few weeks after getting a new tattoo. The man went for a swim anyway in the ocean just five days after he received the tattoo, and unfortunately it killed him. So, you know, one would wonder if that flesh-eating bacteria is uh, related to the core exit, the oil spill, probably is. Don't know for sure, but anyway, uh, it's um, not probably a good place to swim, I wouldn't think. Anyway, well, there's been a crop circle in France. Um, Yeah, this this, uh, news story came out today. And they say that, uh, you know, France gets its share of uh, crop circles, apparently. But recently, um, since June 1st and June 2nd, very recently, just a few days ago, there have been nearly a dozen circles, and some some of them were 500 meters in diameter, that have been appearing in a barley field near Sancerre. Did I say that right? S-A-N-C-E-R-R-E. Uh, is it Sancerre or Sancerre? Do you know, Ariel? I, I don't know, a- but you did a good job. Okay, well, anyway. <laughs> Good job. The guy that farmed the land isn't impressed. Uh, he's filed a complaint with the local uh, law enforcement. He says this represents about six tons of uh, my crop, he said. He said that he won't be able to get a crop this year. might force him to replant the field. He says it's going to cost him about 1,000 euros. He said the crop circle is not environmentally friendly. It's disagreeable, and he doesn't see the point of it. <laughs> okay, well, we're glad to hear that, you, I mean, let him say his piece. But according to the article, there have been crop circles in France before. Um, they say that there was uh, an outbreak in 2012 and one in t- 2009. But right now, uh, in two days, uh, there have been nearly a dozen circles. And I'm looking at photographs of them now. It's really beautiful. It's a um, lime green field, fresh barley. This new spring green is just gorgeous. And all of these beautiful formations of uh, intertwining circles. Mm. So if you want to check that out, guys, it's uh, crop fields in um, Sancerre, S-A-N-C-E-R-R-E, crop circles in in that part of France. Check it out. Have a look. All right. Well, here is a cute story. Um, Ever gotten into a fight with someone about whether the potty paper should be hanging over or under? (laughs) You know, I've never given that much thought, but I I once had somebody uh, comment on that, and I thought, well, who cares? Well, some people care about it a lot. And uh, I suppose I have a particular way of doing it, and I just never thought about it. But anyway, so what does potty paper reveal about your personality, specifically the way you hang your potty paper? Now, Do you hang your toilet roll with the end of the paper hanging over or with the end of the paper hanging under? Well, (laughs) according to a survey, over people are more assertive. Assertive people are more likely to be in leadership roles and have a take-charge attitude. So if you hang the paper over, you're probably, you know, authoritarian, that kind of thing. You know, capable. Well, those hanging the roll under according to this study, are more likely to be submissive. According to the study, submissive people tend to be more agreeable, flexible, and empathetic. Now, to create the toilet paper personality test, uh, this psychologist or person surveyed around 2,000 people of all ages, asking them whether they rolled the paper over or under. (laughs) Now, some people 
uh, actually switched the toilet roll in other people's houses. About one in five, if you can believe that. <laughs> and actually, that happened to me. That's how the discussion got started. Anyway, naturally, it was one of those over people who was imposing their dominant personality on the submissive under person. <laughs> well, according to this article, if you want to know what the rich do with their toilet paper, well, they roll it over the top. And rolling under, they say, might also be linked to lower earnings, according to yet another survey, if you can believe that. <laughs> according to another survey, 73% of those earning under $20,000 rolled their paper under, while 60% of those earning over 50000 rolled their paper over. <laughs> Whoever knew there were so many surveys on toilet roll alignment, but there it is. So <laughs> funny, humorous. I'm not going to ask you which way. I'm not going to ask anybody. I don't care. I survey people about their bathroom stuff. I'm sorry, I just tickled with that. That's just a hoot. All right. Well, somebody spent their good money on that, but it gives us a good laugh, and that's what we need—a lot of laughter. Well, that's going to be it. For tonight's Starseed News, Ariel, thank you so much. And from my heart to yours, each and every one of you, much love. Have a beautiful, magnificent week full of peace and light and inspiration and all the good stuff. And thank you for sharing this with me, and we'll meet back together again next week. Okie dokie. Wonderful. <laughs> okay. Thanks so much, Anastasia. Sure. Good job on the news. And we'll talk to you next week. Okay, so now um, I am going to get our guest, Julie Lohr and Lavendar. Get your microphone open. I know you're there. You are. Okay. Well, Julie, welcome to the show. It's so great to have you back. Oh, thank you so much. I'm delighted to be back with all of you. Wonderful. Lavendar, are you there? I'm here. Okay. Well, um, Lavendar is going to kick it off for us, so go ahead and take it away. Julie, I'm so happy that you've joined us again. I, I love your book. I love your information. And it's just time for us to have some goddess talk. So, oh, thank you. Yeah, tell us about your latest book project and your revision of astrology through the mythical frame. And also I want to know about this board game. <laughs> well, it's a it's a mouthful, isn't it? Well, I guess I'll start with uh I guess I'll start with the book. It's a project I've been working on off and on for some time. Um, like like some of the folks there, I've been an astrologer and a tarot reader for a long time, taught both subjects. And also for me, and that's segue into the board game in a little bit, for me what pulls it all together are the, are the symbols and how they're coded into things and how in many ways they're universal. And along the way, I have just been bothered by, first of all, the gender imbalance in astrology. Other than the moon, we've had traditionally just one female planet, right, Venus. And where we got our astrology from, and so all of you know this already, we really inherited it from the Romans who got it from the Greeks. But by the time it came to us, we were in the midst of millennia, of patriarchy, where all of the goddesses were demeaned, sometimes demonized, and some of the male gods, 
the myths have come down to us, the male gods sort of kidnapped, or worse, the goddesses, forced them into marriage, and then stole their power. So all of this has been bothering me for a really long time, and I got deeply involved in it when I wrote the goddess book. So I'll, I'll say this part of it in a shorter way. We can certainly ask more questions. So I set out, number one, to try to rebalance the gender imbalance that exists in astrology. And I knew from myths, for example, that on Mount Olympus, where we get the gods and goddesses, there were six male and six female. So what happened to astrology? The same was true with the Titans, who came before. So that's just the tip of the iceberg, really. The book also uh, talks about some of the newer discoveries, the demotion of Pluto, and the promotion of Ceres, goddess of the asteroid belt. So it's a big project that I've been working on for a while, but um, I'm hoping that it brings the astrology that we use in many ways is like a piano where some of the keys don't work and things are out of balance. And in my research, the fact that Neptune should be a feminine gender where every everything that has to do with water has to do with the feminine. So Neptune should be a goddess rather than a god of the sea. And another long conversation could happen with the planet Saturn, which I see as a wise grandmother. Uh, the goddess who preceded Saturn was Rhea, Mother Time, who wielded the sickle long before it was taken from her by the male Saturn. So those are just kind of just a couple of ideas. But moving into the astrology in this way makes it deeper, richer, and, uh, as I said, a lot more balanced. That was probably a long answer to your question. I, lo- I love what you just said. Oh, my goodness. That's, I, I, you're right about Neptune. Absolutely. When you said it, I went, yeah, why, why have we been given that a, a male connotation all, the, all this time? It is really Right? Female. I mean, you think about it. It's the ocean. It's everything as far back as we know, all of the goddesses whose names begin with, with M-E-R or M-A-R were goddesses of the sea, goddesses of the ocean. And when we begin to think of it in interpretation as a female archetype, as a female energy, it begins to make a huge difference in our understanding. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, um, I I have long wondered about the the interpretation uh, of astrology through the ages. You know, what was the purest form when it first came out? I'd love to know about that. Do you have any clue of how pure it was before the Egyptians and the Greeks got a hold of it? It's such a good question. You know, I think that in the spiritual traditions that I've studied, Lavendar, it said that astrology was a revealed discipline. And the archetypes that we actually got into Greece and Rome came from Egypt. So as long ago, really 6,000 years, and, and alternative scholars now believe that Egypt's history goes back at least 30,000 years. So we're going way far back in time, and I think that my emerging understanding about this is that it's harder, even though even though it helps us to learn about the archetypes of planets and signs when we give them gender or think of them as gods and goddesses or rams and bulls and all of that, 
that um, astrology in its purest form, and this would this would make a lot of sense to you with the starseed astrology that you do. It, I'm beginning to believe that it's really based on frequency and the archetype of number and alternating polarities that move through the signs and even through the solar system, and in a sense, more like music than myth in some ways. So I think to really understand astrology and whether or not to your question how long we'd have to go back to really understand its purest form, I think if we can think of it more like like frequencies, vibrations, and polarities, that that gets us closer to how these energies operate in, in our psyche and in our lives. Does that make sense to you? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. In fact, as you were talking, I was thinking about some of the clients that I've had. And um, when I do a, a, a astrological chart, I have it color-coded. You know, the, the, the blue is, is trines and the red is squares and the sextiles are green and the oppositions are, are yellow. So when I, when I look at, at a chart, it starts singing to me a song. It, it's, it's a vibration that happens with, with the patterns. The patterns hold the resonant tone for the soul essence is the way I've been able to tap in to it. So when you're talking this way, I'm going, yes, that's exactly what it is. That's, I love that. That's exactly how it is for me as well. And I, I always think of a chart almost like um, a musical chord or almost like a piece of music. And just like you say, when you see the geometries and the vibrations, it does. It starts to sing. And you can see, well, here are the harmonies and here are the discords. And how does all of that fit together in, into that template or that one chord that then becomes the person's natal chart? And at all the different levels, so so that's how I am more and more beginning to see it. But what you said is perfect in terms of the color coding. And, and, and in fact, when I when I I start a session and I will look at this song that's being played in my head that I'm looking at, I'll say, I said, here's your here's your masterships, here's your rites of passage, and somehow when I start saying that. And they start looking at the chart at the same time because I I have them print them out or else look at them on the screen. All of a sudden, they're tuning into their DNA. Exactly. And and then I say to them, think of every cell in your body having a copy a, a copy of this chart, and it's mm-hmm. running around in your blood. It's running around all through your body, and then you become this big chart for me to to read. And then they go, oh wow. So it's it's a way of of showing people that when they're born, they actually have a blueprint that runs inside of them that actually helps them determine how they're going to function in their life if they know how to read it. Exactly. And in a sense, when you're doing it that way, even though you're using words, because you are talking about the frequencies and the DNA, at some level you're also transcending the language, and that knowledge is is really going in to their whole energy field as energy, as right. an energetic understanding. You know, I, I actually that. had three people uh, to tell me that they they put their uh, charts on the refrigerator, they looked at them for a period of time, and, and they would do that breathing technique that I would give them, the purple in and the blue out, and I had three people that said this. The first guy said, I 
jumped on an airplane, went to France, bought a house, and found my beloved after I looked at my chart for two weeks. The, the second person said, oh, I quit my job and moved to Sedona, Arizona. Third person uh, sent me an email and said, oh, thank you so much. I've been looking at my chart, and I got the courage to leave my husband. Wow. So that started happening. I thought, oh, my goodness. There is a code in the center of this chart. If people look at it long enough, it yeah. goes into their soul, and they start resonating to what they should be doing. Yes. And don't you think that the code also has time signatures and triggers that Absolutely. at certain points in time? Yeah, I've really been looking at Uranus lately. Uranus at 26 Aries. Of course, it's a starseed code, but yes. I, I look at, at it as, as lightning and thunder and awakening everything on the planet in, in ways that we never thought possible. Yes. And we've yes. had Venus kind of running with it, you know, for the last couple of weeks. So that Venus Uranus is really striking a chord with the women on the planet. Tell me about it. I have uh, Jupiter at uh, 27 degrees of Libra. It's actually making a, a grant. Sorry. Sorry for the listeners who don't understand it, but it's been... Um, <laughs> Uh, triggering a grand cross in my chart and bringing up these deep things. And, you know, it's funny, I went with my daughter and a few other women friends to see Wonder Woman (laughs) last uh, Friday night, and I thought, what a perfect time for that archetype to be rising in such a powerful way. Well, I wanted to go and see that this weekend, but it's not here in my little home my little town yet oh i definitely am going to go to a theater i'm not going to wait and watch it on tv i have got to go right away and see this movie you know um linda carter uh when she was wonder woman before she was wonder woman um she was in the miss universe pageant and i and i was her chaperone (laughs) really Yes. Wow. And so that's a um, fascinating right there, isn't it? A code yes, it is. And it's image. like I've you know, I have really um you know, watched her through the years and I've had fond memories of our time together and the, so when the second Wonder Woman came out I went, Wow, look at this. Isn't, isn't this something? I'm still alive to see this. <laughs> that's so great. And you know they did uh uh, hopefully, it isn't a digression, but it's, a, it's about goddesses. <laughs> they uh, they did a beautiful job. The screenwriter was was a woman, and the director was a woman, and I loved what they did with the backstory of the myth and how how it uh, developed into the comics and into the story, and and now into the psyche around the world. Uh, so, uh, along with the Venus, with Uranus, as you're saying, and the triggers that uh, that it's bringing about. Well, how about how about Saturn at 26 Sag trying Uranus at 26 Aries? Yes, conjunct my South Node. <laughs> so yeah, I've got a whole bunch. Yes, it's so powerful. I mean, we can just see it. I'm a child of the 60s, and I have to say I really didn't think the world would look like it does right now, but my prayer is that it is bringing in a Plutonian sort of way all of the things out of the dark underworld that have to come to light. We have to see it. We have to face it. And those of us who are starseeds have to be prepared to do what we came to do. Absolutely. You know, before the Teton meetings this year, I went. I went up there and uh, and and threw a fit. I said, you know, when is it going to be goddess? When is it going to be our turn? And 
kind of reprimanded and brought home. And then the day after the election, I mean the inauguration, I saw the women stand up all over the world, and I went, wow, maybe yes. they heard me. <laughs> yes, yes, and and that's the part I keep focusing on, not the part that, that daily can get me into a complete rage, but the part that I'm seeing as the responses that are happening around the world. And maybe all of this is happening so the women will stand up finally. Yes, yes. You know that's what we're that's what we're hoping and intending, right? Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So let's get back to your board game. I really want to know how this is how this is coming together, and what are you and and how are you going to um, uh, and who's it who's it distributed to? Is it distributed to everyone, or is it specializing for Starseed? Well, it's a really good question. You might get a different answer from uh, the three of us who've been involved. We've been working on it for four years, and um, as you may recall, because I believed a while ago you had Karen Stuth of Satyama on oh, your yes. program, uh, and she's the publisher, and uh, the graphic designer artist is Sue Lyon, who's in Boulder, and it was my vision originally. I've always wanted to do this, but but and so a lot of the content is mine, but I would say all of the design we've been working for four years has been very much a group effort and a lot of synergy. So my answer to your question, you might get a different one from Karen, but my answer to the question is I think this game is for the Harry Potter audience potentially, which is a whole lot of people if you think about it. Having also said that, I think the people who will gravitate to it the most are probably your audience. Uh, I think, um, although I hope I'm wrong, there's no blood and gore. It's not like uh, many of the games and the battle games that um, some young teenagers would like. It's much more, it is based on the universal archetype of the hero's journey that Joseph Campbell discovered and wrote about and that George Lucas used for the Star Wars movies. So my original vision was to create something that would teach people, whether they really knew they were learning or not, about the hero's journey as a universal archetype and then likewise about Jung's version of the archetypes, which we recognize perhaps most familiarly but did I say that right? In a most familiar way, as the 12 signs of the zodiac, which uh, are a similar sense. So the game, which as I said, we've been working on four years. So we've gone through a lot of deep work and change and had people play it and give us their feedback. Uh, so um, Satyama will be the publisher and the marketer, and it will be distributed Worldwide, she's doing a lot of research on that. We will be doing, I don't know which one, we'll be doing some crowdfunding before very long. We're really almost finished, very close, and should actually have physical games, we hope, by October. Uh, I'd love to come back and talk about it, or perhaps uh, Karen would at that time, once we have games. Um, I can tell you the general stuff, but, of course, we're sworn to secrecy <laughs> beyond that until it comes out. We're so close. Um, but hopefully that answers the question. It's designed to be fun and interesting, and hopefully uh, we're really hoping. I will say that the psychics who have looked at it all have said very positive things. So 
so we're hoping that uh, that that's right. Does that kind of answer your question, or have I been too vague? No, but I did want. It's, when you say a board game, is it kind of like Monopoly board game, a physical thing you put out and people sit around and play it, or is it, or is it on the, I mean, or is it in the computer? The first edition will be a physical board game with a board and pieces and that, uh, okay. but there is the intention to to make it a computer game. Okay. Wow. Later. Later. Wow. I love it. Or next, but. Uh, and yes, you and Karen, both of you should come back. When you get the board ready to to go out in the world, both of you can come on and be on the show. Absolutely. That would be great. I think that's a really great idea. So maybe you can think about that for uh, November or something or as it gets closer to the end of the uh, end of the year. But we're really close at this point. And um, you know what's interesting? Well, one of the things that's interesting is there have been the three of us each with really different strengths and skills and knowledge and background. And uh, it's been like a hero's journey, a heroic journey for us as well. As we've moved through this, we've discovered things about ourselves, we've discovered about how we interacted, how we interact with each other. So it's been profound. Yeah. We, we're pretty proud of it, I think. So back to your goddess book, what, what prompted you to write this? I, I know that you've really researched a lot through um, all kinds of different religions before you actually wrote this book. But give us some heads up about what you thought about the uh, patriarchy and, and how the men were were trying to rule everything. It's such an interesting thing. The, the short answer is that, gosh, I think it's been about 12 years ago now, I was hired by someone to ghostwrite a book about uh, what this person thought through her own um, channeling was the true story of Jesus and Mary Magdalene. And she hired me to ghost write the book. And, you know, the joke is I grew up Catholic, so we don't read the Bible. So I had to do a bunch of research. And the more I got into the research, the more I discovered all of this alternative history about the divine feminine that we weren't taught in school that we don't know, and for the most part, even though that's changing, uh, many women still don't have an understanding. Uh, and um, along the way, I discovered this fabulous quote, by the way, from Dion Fortune, uh, who's, a, who's a, one of my hero, heroines, a religion without a goddess is halfway to atheism. And that was kind of one of my uh, hallmarks. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's great. <laughs> so... Having grown up with monotheism, uh, as I said, I was a Catholic until I was about 20, 25, I guess, somewhere along there, I got deeply into this research, and I, I kept saying, why don't we know this? Why haven't I ever known this? And then I would discover uh, feminist scholars, feminist theologians, these wonderful books that existed, and I just felt compelled to, to write the book, and it morphed over time. But um, what I learned, and, and it relates to the astrological ages, I really believe, we're coming to the end of the age of Pisces, which is extremely patriarchal. Prior to that was the roughly 2,000-year age of Aries, the age of warriors and heroes. Pisces is the sacrificial savior. But before that was the age of Taurus, which was very different. And um, even going back that far, 
a goddess was revered. We know now that it goes back much more than that. But with the rise of the patriarchy at least 4,000 years ago, and then the descent into the age of Pisces, for that period of time, the entire feminine principle became compromised. As I mentioned earlier, the gods who would steal the power of the goddess and turn them into demons. So I just was on fire, Lavendar, to try to, just like with the astrology book I want to write, help bring in some small way those principles back into equilibrium. I think that there is something that is essentially true about the masculine polarity and things that are essentially true about the feminine polarity that have been corrupted and misunderstood over such a long period of time. So the book, which has 366 goddesses, one for every single day of the year, from every tradition I could find around the planet and through the ages, is organized by the 12 astrological signs. So the goddesses of spring are the maidens, the goddesses of summer are the mothers, and so on. The goddesses that are Aries are are warriors and goddesses of spring. Goddesses of Taurus are much more likely to be fertility goddesses. So that's the way the order uh, emerged over time. And um, it's still a constant inspiration to me. Uh, I read the goddess of the day every single day as I set my intention and uh, hope that, um, that other women will do the same. It's not meant to be anti, quite the contrary. It's, it's meant to help women understand the diverse nature of these defined feminine energies to, to grow stronger and to be more embodied in what that actually means to help bring balance back to the world. Do you think that when the Da Vinci Code book and film came out that it was really uh, a step up for uh, for the goddess movement i absolutely do i absolutely do because um what dan brown did with that book and of course is based on uh based on traditions is to bring that awareness of who mary magdalene very likely was and how the church turned her into something completely different and to understand what that principle is. And because of the worldwide success, you know, it's the same with Wonder Woman. With this new movie, uh, the reaction, uh, as I've read, has been hugely positive. I think that the feminine principle has been eclipsed for so long that there is this tremendous, I don't know that appetite is the right word or hunger is the right word, but there's this tremendous need to bring that principle back into consciousness in a really powerful way. And Dan Brown did us all a big favor with that, and because of that huge success. You know, I can remember, I don't remember what year it was that I read the book, but I do remember the moment in time in my bedroom. It was 3 o'clock in the morning, and I turned the page. Something that I read, I don't know what I read, and all of a sudden I just put the book down and I said, oh, it's time. It's time yes. now. We can move forward with this starseed information. Oh, I can. it's probably getting close to time to bring in stuff out of the vault. It was that book that really stimulated me into wanting to finish the work. I'd been sitting That's on fantastic. it for all those years. It's just been sitting in a bank vault for 25 years. 
That's a beautiful story, Lavendar. I don't think that I, I don't think that I knew that. But I think that book and that story and the movie had that effect on a lot of people. I can't remember the year either or um, when it was, but I know, like you, it triggered me in an in a incredibly powerful way. It triggered me to the point of of uh, deciding to start talking about you know the things that I had been writing about all those years and I hadn't you know I, when when I was told to put stuff in the bank vault you know I'm a Sagittarian to tell me to keep my mouth shut for 25 <laughs> years you know how hard that was <laughs> it was terrible but I knew that I had to do it because the the kids that were born after 1980 were the ones that seemed to need the information they said you need to wait until these kids are up and grown well they're up and grown now and you know what about half of my sessions are with are with people that were born after 1980 yes yeah it's all coming back around isn't it (laughs) well it is and uh as i said a little while ago i mean it's uh uh we came to be uh warriors not in what might be a negative or traditional sense, which I hate to keep bringing up the movie again, but I think that was that was covered in that way in such a powerful way. Uh, what her character is, and how it was directed and how it was acted, that um, she was willing to be a warrior to protect and on the side of good, but she also had tremendous compassion and insight and inner strength the true meaning of um, of a bodhisattva, of a spiritual warrior in, in the truest sense. And that's what we came to do. So we, um, we have to listen, right, and show up when we're told and show up when we hear the call and do the best we can. In the Native American tradition, uh, a, a long time ago, the women had a great role in, in different tribes at different times. And the other day I... I uh, turned on the TV to the Stephanie Miller show, which is on freespeech.com, uh, not dot com, just Free Speech TV. And and when I turned it on, it showed uh, the pipeline and the women that were up at the pipeline, uh, you know, holding the space for uh, what is happening up there. And the whole uh, five or ten minutes that I watched it was all about the women. And and ta- and the women were saying, "We the women are protecting the land. We the women are coming forward now. We the women." I mean, it was, it was strong. And I thought, wow. "Oh my goodness, look what's happening up at the pipeline. Yes. Look at the women standing up for what they're they're doing." He said, "It's not the male's job." They said, "It's the women's job to protect the water." That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, it gave me a chill when I when I when I watched it. I said, "Oh wow, look at what's happening with the women at the pipeline." Yes. Yes. So tell us more about um, the things that you've discovered through the years uh, about yourself and and writing this book and and how you've grown uh, through all of this. Wow, that's a really big question, and uh, only recently I'll, I'll try not to make this too long, and I'll uh, only recently. I have made a link, and back to my astrology, just in a very sort of general way, I had a deep wound that I came in to heal that I knew for a very long time. I began studying astrology when I was in my early 20s. So I've known this was there, 
And in my life, I was adopted, and I almost starved to death before I was five weeks old. So as I was older, I would explore this, and I knew that I had a deep wound of unworthiness and almost this wound of not deserving to live. And on a separate timeline, I had done lots of work with hypnotic regression and other things. And so I discovered, and I only recently have put this together, but I discovered that in the life before this one, um, how I died, uh, how I lived, rather, when a lot of other people in my family and around me had died, left me with what they now have a term for called survivor's guilt. So I brought into this lifetime this tremendous need to save others, to be of service, uh, to do what I could, and only recently have I actually perceived the direct link. So this has been a long time. I'm 71 now, and I've been working on this for a very long time, and the goddess book and what I have learned in my own journey as an astrologer helping others has been for me a constant journey of of stepping into my own sense of worthiness and, and my own sense of power and what that means and understanding understanding now more than ever still not sure what I'm going to do with it exactly but understanding that it isn't about what I specifically do or accomplish. I'm a Capricorn, three planets in Capricorn, so you know it's always about achievement in that in that energy. But it's not, and that's what I've realized. It's about who I am and who I've become. And what same way as your yellow and red highlights in your chart, it's about what that particular frequency and vibration is just able to offer or contribute wherever I am and to be guided with that. It's been a long journey. I've got daughters and granddaughters, and moving all of that through the female line, uh, and it's like what Indian women do better than any others. They know how to hold the energy and hold their power just by virtue of who they are. And so I think the answer to your question for me is I'm still learning, but I realize that's the path. It's not so much about what's said or done, but it's what is that energy, that frequency, that vibration of love, really, that we're able to hold and radiate to the best of our ability into the world. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's that's how I experience my journey now. Well, you know, uh, from the last time I talked to you until now, I can feel that you, you've really stepped into your power. You're not holding back anymore. I feel like that there's been a, a big shift in you since we talked to you on the radio before. That's wonderful to hear. I feel like it's true, and, of course, something like that's not necessarily visible, but that's how I'm experiencing it, that... Uh, I think you're owning it now. I think before you were hesitant to own it. I think you've stepped into it. I think you're wearing it. I think it comes through uh, in your voice. Uh, I'm sure it comes through in your counseling sessions with others. Yeah, I feel it. That's wonderful to hear. That's absolutely wonderful to hear. That's everything 
I when you've arrived, that, people need to tell you that you've arrived. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> but maybe there are some signposts along the journey where, where you can say, oh, well, maybe I made it to this point. What's next? <laughs> yeah. I wanted to ask you if you would give us a little um, rundown on Joan of Arc and Mary Magdalene and Fatima and the daughter of Mohammed. Oh, boy. Well, you know, that's really interesting. And, and of course, um, it's fascinating uh, in the case of, of those individuals, uh, people have asked me, well, they're not goddesses. Why did they get included uh, in the book? But but really, in each case, yeah, they are. many of the goddesses who are, are in the book, they began as ordinary human women. There are more of them, but those are familiar. So Joan of Arc, Mary Magdalene, and Fatima. Fatima in Islam, the daughter of Mohammed, has almost the same level of reverence as Mother Mary in the Catholic uh, tradition. And they began as human women who later, afterward, were deified and uh, became saints. Uh, Mary, uh, Mother Mary was the same way, a human woman who we know, who uh, then, even in the Catholic tradition at some point, was considered to be, that's no longer true, but when I was growing up, she was considered to be co-redeemer with, with Jesus in the Catholic uh, tradition. So um, these beings represent uh, feminine, divine feminine energy that uh, in some ways was destroyed by the patriarchal power. Uh, Joan of Arc was burned at the stake, for heaven's sake, and then later considered to be a saint. And Mary Magdalene, who was more than likely the partner, wife, uh, co-priestess with Jesus, Yeshua, uh, was turned into a whore and something completely different than who she likely really was in history. So to me, they earned the right to be considered as goddesses right along with some of the others in the book because they are archetypes to be revered and modeled, ourselves modeled after in terms of, uh, of courage and compassion and other qualities that they, that they were known for. Yeah, wow. So how, how long have you uh, been distributing your goddess book? How many years has it been out there now? Well, let's see. Uh, I self-published it in 2008, and then it was picked up by New World Library uh, in 2010 and came out in the second edition in 2011, so it's been quite a while now. But it's still doing pretty well. I'd love it if it were doing uh, doing better, so thanks for the opportunity to talk about it. Well, so you know, uh, it, the timing's right. I mean, Uranus at 26 Aries has got to be, you know, activating a lot of women on the planet to step into their power and 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 start uh, learning about the goddess movement on the planet. It's true. Got to be happening. So it's so it's very timely for you to be on our show and I hope that I hope that other radio shows will have you on. Um uh, I'm I'm sure that Susan's going to find the right place for you to advertise your board game and everything. I'm really yes. excited. I can't wait to see that. So, <laughs> well, we will definitely let you know because it'll be great to be able to talk about it when it's out, and I don't have to be so um, closed about it. Uh, we're trying to, it's like a baby that's not quite yet born, so we still have to be protective. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, 
what would you like to tell us today about new revelations that you've come across, say, in the last few months, things that you've discovered that are happening with timing or with your life or anything that would help us understand more about what we're looking at on the planet with these political activities that we're viewing? (laughs) Well, it wasn't necessarily on the agenda. One of these days I would like to come back on uh, with with my husband or I can come back on and talk about it because I don't know that we've talked about it that much. But um, uh, I've been writing for Atlantis Rising magazine now for, gosh, since the year 2000, so that's a long time. I keep trying to quit, and he won't let me. (laughs) But um, through that, I met my my husband, Ted Denmark, who's still trying to sell his house in California. And from the very beginning, uh, we had these amazing circumstances. And one of his projects over the last few years was to rewrite into readable English, the four volumes of Message from the Pleiades that um, were uh, put up by Wendell Stevens some time ago. But from the very first time we met in person, we started having all these powerful, synchronous happenings. And so we began doing trance sessions. Turns out I'm a really good trance subject, and he is a psychologist. So... um, have I told you about this before? Do we know? Have we had this conversation? And I'm loving to hear about it. No, I haven't heard this before. So we've now got three books that are published, and we've done nearly 100 trans sessions. And what we learned, we both knew we were contactees. Uh, we didn't understand probably the concept early on of starseeds in the way we understand it now. But... Um, Early on, we discovered and learned that um, we're actually Pleiadian hybrids, the two of us. Uh, I also have a pretty large chunk of Syrian, and you've done my starseed chart, so I still have that that uh, recording, which I listen to in awe. So um, what we learned, uh, and probably uh, much of this you probably already know, uh, I, I mean, I could do an entire program on the history of those who came from the Pleiades and uh, many of the things that happened, but he, we've been told uh, in trance sessions that we were part of a project, a genetic project, that involved in the beginning 100 people, starting with our parents' um, generation and then moving through and the te- I won't get into the long-term technology of that, but there are multiple projects like that that have happened and that, um, uh, again, as, as you likely know, the Pleiadians of different of stripes have been really involved with the Earth for a long time, and the group that's involved with us comes from 300 years in the future, back in time, and part of it, our, our future selves who come back in time. So the story is remarkable. The first uh, two books are available as e-books, and the third one will be out really very soon. They're called The Star Table Transmissions, and they're about our story. But they also talk a lot, to answer the other question, about what's happening on Earth in some ways and uh, the involvement of ET races who are trying to help and trying to um, intervene, and at some point just want to throw up their hands because <laughs> we're so stubborn sometimes. So they keep moving the timeline forward. The most important things I think I could say that um, uh, they tell us that there will not 
be permitted to be a nuclear war, that they will not allow it, that we come from a, a solar system where originally three planets had life, and uh, two of them were destroyed through a, a conflict. I'm sure you and your listeners know much about that. And so Earth is the only planet left in this solar system that still has life, and they're not going to prevent it from being destroyed through a nuclear war. They've told us that a great deal of karmic energy still has to be discharged. So all of that, again, was covered in Anastasia's news report with a lot of the storms and and uh, volcanoes. Much energy has to be discharged, and we do have to go through this very difficult period, but they're not going to let us be destroyed. But we have to wake up and get up and all the things that you've said in terms of what... Um, we came to do and hold our heads high and be who we came to be, but we are getting a lot of help. Again, all of that, which you already know. Yeah, I, I do agree that, that uh, I've been told on several occasions that they will step in and stop a nuclear war from happening. In yes. fact, they've done demonstrations of that already That's at right. different times. Uh, when someone was getting close to acting up, they would simply go in and, and just... Uh, Make all the electricity go down on the on the wherever they were. No one could function. <laughs> They've done exactly. that on several occasions. I wanted to ask you about Wendell Stevens, and are you talking about his information that he got from uh, Billy Myers and Samyasa? Is yes. that what you're talking about? Your husband doing the books with Wendell yes, Stevens? Yes, I am. Um, I knew Wendell years ago. I don't know what I don't know whether you and I have ever had this conversation or knew it, but I lived for 18 years in Dallas, Texas, and I was a person who helped Cheyenne Turner. Did you know Cheyenne back in the day? Oh, huh. Well, even know anyway, that. she had an organization called the Eclectic Viewpoint. At one point, she was president of MUFON for all of the state of Texas, and said it became too infiltrated with CIA and FBI, and so she started her own organization called the Eclectic Viewpoint. And probably from the period of about, well, I'm going to say 90 to 95, she would bring in all the big names from around the world and the perks for the uh, volunteers where we got to go to dinner with them. And so I met Wendell a couple of times, absolutely amazing person. I met Britton Lee Elders and, and some other folks. So uh, I met him a couple of times, and my husband Ted's story was quite different way before I knew him. He was having his own close encounters in Berkeley in California and uh, came across um, the first edition of Message from the Pleiades in, in a bookstore in, in Berkeley and um, then went to Switzerland to the Jung Institute and studied for a year and had all of these other experiences. It was really right around the time that he and I met, which is seven years, more than seven years ago now, that he got triggered uh, that he needed to work on those books and re-edit them because they were kind of the original ones were kind of a horrible mix of germ glaze. They were translated by a student, and uh, it was more like just a literal word-for-word transposition, not an actual uh, translation where you could read the meaning of it. And so he met with Wendell a couple of times and got Wendell's okay to do it, not the financial support, but he got the rights, and 
he's now in contact with uh, Wendell's daughter, Cece. Wendell died a couple of years ago. But he redid the whole first four volumes, and some of it was actually retransmitted to him. So absolutely, yes, that's the story. So when, does the, uh, when, when, when can we get these books? In our trans sessions. So uh, his name is Ted Denmark, Ph.D., and those books are available uh, for people who are interested in that story. And how do they get the book? They're available on any place that you would buy them. They're e-books, so um, you can get them um, through, you know, the regular any regular bookseller. They're just e-books, not print books. But, so um, give, give us the name of how, how give us the name of how people can find these e-books. I think if you look, for example, on um, on Amazon or on um, bookbaby.com and they have a bookstore their message from the Pleiades volumes 1 through 4 they're four separate books and Ted Denmark is the editor Uh, the latest one is a memorial edition to Wendell Stevens wow you know I uh, when when uh, Lee and Brett Elders um, approached me back in the let's see 19 let me think what year this was 82 83 Somewhere in there, um, they asked me to take the um, the video of Billy Meyer's story and go around and show it to different groups. They wanted to know the feedback from people. Mm-hmm. So I took off for about six weeks in my car in New Mexico and Arizona, and I went around and started playing this video. Of course, you know, seeing the ships come down and the whole Billy Meyer story was just very exciting. But what I found out was if people are drinking alcohol, they cannot view this this movie without just losing it. And so in these groups, if anybody started drinking, you know, alcohol, then I noticed they start acting up right after the movie. And on one occasion, (laughs) a lot of people were drinking, and I got out with my life. (laughs) Yeah. So what I discovered... They had the actual sound of the spaceship on the video, and that's what triggered the people. Uh, So I came back and I told them, I said, look, I don't think you can put this in a big theater. I think that this could be, you know, the lawsuits would just be after you, one after another, because I don't think that people drinking going into a theater seeing this, they might be coming out doing, you know, irreverent things. (laughs) So they were never able to put it in a big theater. Wow. Oh, you didn't That's know that, did you? That's an amazing story. <laughs> yeah. I've been around a long time, girl. I'm in my 70s like you. I know you have. <laughs> I know you have. In fact, I wouldn't have been surprised if you'd known Cheyenne. She was quite uh, She was quite amazing uh, in terms of what she did, as I said. I, I was considered myself so fortunate to be able to volunteer for her at that time, and as I said, I met so many people who went on. Uh, Daniel Brinkley's first public talk was for her way back when, so that was um, pretty pretty interesting. But so that's the story. You're that, you probably didn't expect that answer to what's been up with me and what's going on. And so we are doing our own books, which are transcripts of some of these hypnotic sessions because some of the information is really so amazing uh, of what we've been told and um, things that have happened to us in different ways, but also um, 
My husband, Ted, asked these questions, which even in trance make me wince, because um, he was a, a scientist at the UC Berkeley Space Sciences Center, so he has all these questions about astrophysics and all these things that I, in my mind, have no conscious knowledge of, uh, but we've gotten some amazing, uh, amazing answers. Oh, I love it. I love it, and I can't wait to tell Ted that... He- when he wants to come on our radio show, we'd love to have him with this information. Okay, with this I'll try to get in touch with you again. I think at some point he may have sent you some stuff, but this was probably early on, and we're in much better shape with all of it now, so okay. we have uh, much more information. Well, if he sent something to me, I didn't see it, so this is the first okay, time well, I've we'll heard about sure. it. And his so, books are um, all on my website. He does not have a website, but my website is Julie, my name, julielore.com. And so uh, all of his books are available uh, on a couple pages on my website if anybody wants to check that out. Okay, great. Well, I'm seeing what time it is, and uh, if you would, um, we have some callers maybe that would like to talk to you. So I'd like to to pass you over to my co-host, Ariel. Ariel, are you there? Yes, ma'am. Okay. So, Julie, we'll talk later, honey. All right. Thank you. I love you. Thank you so much for having me on. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Well, this has just been fascinating, Julie. And um, right now I want to uh, make the offer, if anyone has a question or comment uh, for our guest, if you're already on the switchboard, then all you need to do is press 1, so we know you want to come on the air. And if you're listening on the computer, then you need to pick up the phone and dial 917-889-8292. And then once you're in, press 1 so that uh, we can get you set to go. So um, that may take a few minutes to, um, to get processed here. So I want to talk more. I know we did uh, the last time you were on um, some individual um, excerpts from your book. But um, considering the astrological um, or astronomical positions that we've been talking about with Uranus at galactic degree and Saturn at galactic degree. Is there um, uh, a section of a goddess in your book that you would think would be appropriate uh, to share? Wow, that's an interesting question. Well, um, I'll first begin with the goddess of today because it feels really appropriate. You know how synchronicity works. It's just uh-huh. Amazing to me how we would end up on this day, but um, uh, I'll read the goddess for today. Then, then we could pick. Maybe we could just pick a couple people's birthdays there. Uh, I don't know whether we did that before, but oh, the yeah, goddess yeah, for we did. today is Vak, and she's a Hindu goddess. Her key word is sound. Uh, she's called she of the thousand forms, and her name means voice. She was once a goddess of thunder. And she is also a goddess of the word, language, and both divine and human speech. In the Hindu Vedas, the sacred literature of ancient India, she's called, you'll love this, the melodious four-uttered cow whose milk sustains us all. Uh, Her udders are also seen as the four quarters of existence that became the cardinal directions as well as becoming the four seasons of the year. She is herself the power of sound and vibration and her magical vibratory power, like that of the Egyptian frog goddess Heket, is said to have literally created the world through vibration. Since everything is frequency, her nature holds the vibratory matrix for all forms 
that come into manifestation. And her contemplation is, I recognize that the frequency of sound underlies the world of form, so I choose to create sounds of harmony rather than discord. So that seems appropriate for the day, don't you think? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I'm uh, you know, thinking, all right, you know, uh, we're in the sign of Gemini right now, and that's about communication and words, and words are sounds and frequencies. And um, and then I thought about, um, you know, in the Bible, you know, in the beginning there was the word. So, I mean, that is its frequency, its sound, the voice, um, completely appropriate. Yeah, so and, you've and so you, uh, that is exactly right, Ariel, in terms of how, how you decoded that. So uh, all the Gemini goddesses, as many as possible, have to do with that principle of the word, of sound, of frequency, of communication, goddesses who created alphabets and so on. So, um, and, and it's interesting, in terms of how this book was created, when I began, I really wanted to organize it in more a lunar way that I thought was more feminine. But somehow the whole pattern, because the zodiac was once, call, once called the girdle of the goddess, all of the stars, and through the process of writing and creating this book, these goddesses would appear to me, and sometimes I could see them in a circle, and I would think a particular goddess belonged in one place, and I would have a vision where the goddess would move and go into a, a sign that I didn't see at, the, at first how it fit. Then I would do more research and see how the nature of that goddess fit exactly where that motion, that movement had occurred. So it was a very, very magical and guided um, guided process. But in terms of your question about Uranus, so let's go back to, uh, I'll just see where it opens, to a February goddess and see, uh, see who, okay, so it opened, I let the goddess book open into the area of the Aquarius goddesses ruled by Uranus. And um, the goddess who, who opened is on February the 15th. Uh, Caradwen is her name. She's a Welsh, Welsh goddess of poetic inspiration. So here we have words again. She possessed a magic cauldron in which she stirred the heady brew of divine inspiration, and with this potent concoction she intended to make her own son the wisest and most clever of bards. She left a mere mortal to guard the cauldron, however, and he accidentally consumed some of the contents when a few drops splashed on his hand. Caradwen pursued him by shape-shifting into many forms, and she finally caught him and consumed him, becoming pregnant as a result, and then giving birth to the very famous Welsh bard Taliesin, who appears in the Arthur legend. Her magic cauldron is called Amen, and in a very intriguing linguistic connection, Muslims, Christians, and Jews all end their prayers with the word Amen. To the Egyptians, this was the Hidden One, a deity of great power, and it may be that the sound of Amun relates to an ancient chant that invokes the hidden power which is symbolized by her cauldron. Her story is perhaps meant as a metaphor for the intense and sometimes painful process of creation, we can talk about Uranus here, which unfolds when we are captured by a muse. At a deeper level, she is a goddess of initiation who embodies the tests 
and trials that this entails. Her key word is wonder, and her contemplation is, the cauldron of my life's experiences becomes the hidden vessel of my transformation. So she's the one who arose from seeming randomness to speak to us this evening. Wow. Wow, I was kind of getting chills there because you know in in my um understanding of of astrology and when I'm trying to um you know do someone's chart for them and explain things I always um name Uranus as the sudden inspiration when the light bulb goes off over your head and you and you get something it's something that's coming from above and the manifestation on the earth from you know from sky to earth and that's, that's right. That's just exactly what you said. Yes. And so she fits yeah, cool. in the category of the Aquarius goddesses and related to uh, to Uranus as a result. But it is mm-hmm. like that, isn't it? That flash, that lightning flash of inspiration where maybe there was darkness and then for a moment there's the lightning flash where we have an inspiration, we have an awakening and maybe it goes dark again, but we still keep that awareness. Right, right. Well, um, <clears throat> since you've, you've got the book set up with, you know, like, well, like in, in consecutive days of, of the months, so mm-hmm. if, if anyone would like to call in and, you know, tell us your birthday, you don't have to say the year, find out what um, the goddess for your birthday is, uh, you might find it very revealing. So you need to dial 917-889-8292. And then once you're in, press 1 so we know you want to come on the air. So um, while we're waiting for that, let me just uh, think of some some people that I know and, and throw out some birthdays. How about um, April 24th? All righty. Ooh, that's a good one. April 20, well, not that they're not all good, but this is a very famous uh, pre-Old Testament goddess uh, from pre-Hebrew uh, times, Asherah. Uh, her keyword is fertility. She is an especially ancient fertility goddess who was worshipped in both Egypt and Canaan, the biblical promised land. She was the consort of both Baal and Yahweh, a benevolent goddess who gave her love freely she was also called Mistress of Sexual Rejoicing. Isn't that great? <laughs> in Israel, <laughs> no, I love that. In Israel, archaeologists have unearthed thousands of terracotta figurines of Asherah, some of which look like pillars or tree trunks, and they were found in simple household shrines that had been fashioned to look like small temples. Devotion to her was the domain of women and centered on household shrines and family worship, making life events such as feeding the family, very sacred. Asherah is usually shown nude, often holding serpents and lilies. She's also associated with trees and sacred groves and may have symbolized the tree of life itself. Her name stems from a linguistic root that means straight, and her followers were expected to live upright lives. Sycamores, figs, and mulberry trees were sacred to her. She was driven underground by Jewish orthodoxy, but evidence is emerging that her worship continued in the temple in Jerusalem from some time, for some time. And her contemplation is, they built worship sites for themselves of sacred stones, high pillars, and Asherah poles on every high hill 
and every under every green tree, and that's from the Bible, 2 Kings, verse 17 uh, and t- to 10, 1710. She's a wow. Taurus goddess, needless to say. Right, right. Um, and and how by about, the way, each oh. of the, one of the other things that um, uh, I'm not sure that I mentioned is that one of the things that came to me while I was working through this whole process one day in the shower, we all know about the shower awakenings, is that instead of using, the, I use the traditional names, but the book has is organized by zodiac signs, but they are goddess signs. So Aries is the Cretan axe, Taurus is the tree of life, Gemini is the honeybee, uh, and so on. So each of the 12 signs has a symbol that relates to the sacred feminine. And so uh, the one for Taurus is the tree of life. So each one has its own uh, goddess sign. And that was revealed. All 12 of them came to me in the shower in that moment. It was a download. And I had to rush out of the shower and write them down. uh, And it was just one of those moments, uh, which I'm sure you've experienced, (laughs) Right, where you just have that moment of revelation and it all comes in a piece and you know that you've been given uh, an incredible gift. So, uh, as I said, uh, um, Aries is the double axe of Crete, Taurus is the tree of life, Gemini is the bee, an ancient symbol of the goddess, Uh, Cancer goddesses uh, is the shell out of which Venus emerged, Leo goddess is the cobra, an ancient symbol of the path of the sun, uh, the sun which rules Leo. Virgo is a sheath of wheat. Libra is the dove. Scorpio is the spider. Sagittarius is the bow and arrow. And Capricorn is the spinning wheel, ancient symbol of the crone goddesses, which is what the Capricorn goddesses are. So many, many of these things just came to me as gifts. Sometimes I felt like I could hardly get it down quick enough so that I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't forget it. Okay. And what about um, Aquarius and Pisces? As long oh, as you, you went around all this, almost all the way. Oh, my goodness, how awful is that? Aquarius is the spiral, and Pisces is the grail, the chalice. Wow. So that's... Uh, no, I, yeah, that just, it, that just feels right to me. Um, the spiral represents the spiral galaxies of the sky and the the upper world that Aquarius and Uranus relate to. And Mm -hmm. um, as I said, Pisces represents the chalice and the cup of wisdom, which is ultimately also an artifact of the goddess. Right, right. Well, I have uh, another birthday for you to look up, uh, March 24th. Okay. March 24th is Atalanta, whose name means balanced. She was an Amazon goddess from ancient Greece. When she was born, Atalanta was exposed on a rock and left to die at Parthenia because her father had wanted a son. She was suckled by a she-bear sent by the goddess Artemis to rescue her. Some stories say that in ancient times, Atalanta was actually Artemis herself in the form of a bear, she grew in statue, stature and became a great hunter and warrior. 
She even killed two centaurs who tried to rape her. Eventually, her father heard of her fame and adventures and wanted her to marry so he could gain recognition from her renown. She was tricked into marriage by agreeing to a foot race, but in the end, she actually married for love. Some stories say she and her mate were later changed into lions who pulled the chariot of the great mother goddess Sibel. Her key word is independence, and her contemplation is, if I am true to myself, even the most challenging or hurtful experience can be turned into wisdom and strength. She's another powerful one. Well, yeah. They all are in their own way and all in some ways picked their day and their place in the circle, which was a powerful and humbling experience for me. Wow. Do you have another? Yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, September 9th. Okay. I'm doing this with one hand. (laughs) I don't have One hand on the phone, one hand on the book, yeah. One on the phone, one hand on the book, so I have to. Okay. Oh, I love this one, too. Well, they're all favorites of me. You know, I just have a few that maybe are um, a little more favorite. This is uh, Kocha Mama, blue corn maiden of the Hopi. Corn is considered to be the mother and is a metaphor for life itself. The cycles of planting and harvest are at the center of Hopi ceremonies where the sun's movement through the seasons relates to the directions. Corn is the most important substance to the Hopi, so seed corn, the life of the mother, is kept for two years in case of drought. Corn is harvested after the Kachinas go back to their home in the peaks of the San Francisco mountains each year. The Kachinas are spirit beings thought to reside in all people, plants, and animals. They appear each year at the summer solstice, which begins the yearly ceremonial cycle. Each color of corn has a special significance, and the corn maidens have a central place in myth and ritual. Blue corn maiden, Kotamama, is thought to be the prettiest of the corn sisters and occupies the direction of north. Her story includes a mythical kidnapping by the winter Kachina who loved her and a subsequent rescue by the summer Kachina so she could go back to the people and grow corn. The problem was solved by a familiar mythic compromise in which she spends half of the year with each of them. In this way, the earth is green and growing half the year and cold and barren, while Cochamama lives with Winter Kachina. And her contemplation is the fine art of compromise can usually prevent a battle. That's a fun one, too, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that that um, analogy I mean, with, with corn, it re- really, um, it is a revered grain in its, in its natural form. We're not talking about the... The uh, what are they? That's uh, right. GMO. Yeah, we're not talking about the Monsanto corn. We're talking about oh. the uh, the um, the sacred blue corn. Wow. And isn't that just one more example of of what the corruption? Not to say I'm not saying that the masculine principle is bad or evil, but the corruption that's taken place through the pair through the patriarchy, through so many things that have happened that have created the monsters that Dow and Monsanto are and have destroyed something that was meant to be sacred. Right, 
Right. But you know, when I when I try to explain because there's our there are so many star seeds who show in their charts a mission of rebalancing masculine and feminine. And yes. um, the way I explain it to them is that, you know, the feminine was deliberately repressed. And when one side of the equation goes down, the other side must go up. And yes. and that it takes it into the shadow realm, you know, the the, the, the seamy underside of the masculine. And the feminine's got a seamy underside too, you know. That's it's right. not like, you know, <laughs> not like it's all... Um, you know the, the the fair-haired ones over here, um, because both principles have this this shadow side. So when the feminine was deliberately repressed, it sh- it forced the masculine up into that shadow range, and mm-hmm. all of the the worst traits, the competitiveness, the the war making, the the control, the domination, the um, you know what is it called when you is it subrogation when you make someone else get behind you in line? Um, yes. That's that's just uh, it was a changing of the guard, and now the pendulum swings the other way. So returning of the feminine is not just about empowering women; it's about empowering the feminine in both genders as well as empowering the masculine in women. So it's all this giant balancing procedure, and that's just kind of the way I explain it. Um, to to people that I'm I'm doing readings for, because it really you, know, you, you don't want a matriarchal society because that's out of balance as well. Yes, you know, absolutely. Um, there the might not be as much war. To go, so I'm going in the other room to get another one so that we don't get disconnected. I don't know how much time we have left. Okay. Well, you know, um, I'm just I was just having fun uh, throwing out some birthdays of. Uh, some of our our um, friends here. So I'm going to make the uh, going to make the offer one more time. If you want to hear um, the goddess for your birthday, you're going to have to dial 917-889-8292. And if you're listening to this show in the archives after um, it's over, then you'll just have to pick up the book. <laughs> That's so, right. Um, that's it's available right. wherever books are sold. It's wherever books. Library. It you can click on my website, julielore.com, and look through there and click on it there, or Amazon, or any places like that. Shameless so how about promotion, December? Right. <laughs> it is proud promotion. Yes, um, you're right about that. And you know, I wanted proud to, promotion. I wanted to pick um, up on the about, point that you made because. Uh, not all the goddesses in the book are sweetness and light either. I mean, I didn't uh, only pick goddesses that had uh, uh, just a positive one. The ones that you chose the birthdays for seem to, but because uh, there are the same way you're saying, there were some goddesses that represented the dark side and the crone aspect of the goddess, which is in some ways like the Hindu goddess Kali, for example, who um, in some ways is a very terrifying figure, but she represents the principle of resurrection, that there is always resurrection, just like in the harvest. So it's an important thing It's an important thing to know, and you make a really important point about the balance and understanding the dark and the light of, of the polarities and what that looks like. And uh, it's something that, that I speak about all the time, and I'm so glad you made the point that, that the... 
reclamation, if you will, of the feminine principle also is the reclamation of a masculine principle that's become very out of balance. And both both aspects, all all of it has to be healed and brought into equilibrium. That's right. That's right. And um, it's it's my opinion that um, ultimately the 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 thousand years of peace that is promised for the golden age of reason, which we are on the threshold of, um, is because of the returning of the feminine principle back to balance with masculine, and that 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 wholeness, um, balanced wholeness, um, starts with the individual. Because in yes. order to have world peace, the nations have to get along. And for nations to get along, the, the citizens have to be balanced. They can't be clamoring for war. Uh, so I really think it has to start with each individual and, and build until it, it, until it completely um, overshadows the, the, the lack of balance. It's so, so true. Um, and, and don't you feel uh, that... That's really what we're called to do now, that not looking outside for leadership in a sense, not looking outside for someone to solve our problems, but just as you say, it has to begin with the individual. Peace has to begin within courage, balance. All of those have to begin within our own mind and heart, within our relationships, within our families, within the larger groups of which we're a part, and that it has to start with individuals and grow outward, not come from the top down. Right. Right. So um, we have time for one more birthday. Okay. Can we do one more? Of December 5th. December right. 5th. I'm getting there. December 5th, the goddess is Nanshi. Her key word is omens. And she was a Sumerian goddess of dreams and prophecy. whose primary city was Nina. She was skilled in the art of honoromancy. Isn't that a big word? A form of divination based on dream symbols. This practice not only interprets dreams, but also lets someone see into the future. Some sources say special dreams were sent by Zakar, a messenger of the gods who brought divine messages to mortals in their dreams. Nanshi was considered to be a prophet of such high caliber that she could see the future for gods, deities, as well as humans. Nanshi also had a special connection with underground springs, which have often been linked with the gift of prophecy. The seers who presided at her rites and learned to interpret dreams were required to undergo an undergo an initiation that required a symbolic descent into the earth. Each year, at a symbolic review, Nanshi served as a judge of each person's acts. And her contemplation is, I pay attention to my dreams, for my soul travels in that realm while I sleep. Wow. She's an interesting one, too. Yeah, yeah, quite appropriate. Quite appropriate. So you're thinking of that. And, you know, I I have to say it's such an interesting thing, but over the years people have contacted me and told me something about the goddess of their day 
that was so appropriate or something that they had been interested in their whole life. So it, it, as I say, it was such a guided uh, project and guided effort. It always brings me such pleasure when I hear something about that. But it's just, again, back to the resonance of how these different archetypes and goddesses and, and uh, principles do align with um, with different parts of the of the zodiac of the wheel of the year. So were you well, thinking absolutely? Of the, I was just going to say you're got, thinking of the people that you know that have those birthdays and how that might relate to them. Oh well, absolutely. I'm thinking it fits like a glove. Um, oh, good. <laughs> But that's got to be great confirmation for you that the goddesses told you what day they wanted to be on and what section they wanted to be on. So it's not just a, a random uh, arbitrary thing. Okay, you're here, you're there. They had it. They had input, and it, and it comes through when people say, "Oh my gosh," you know, the, the goddess for my birthday was. Um, there was, you know, there may be some just a few words that reach yes. out and grab you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And it took more than two years to, from beginning to end, maybe even longer from when I first had the idea until it was finally in form. And that's exactly how it was. That's exactly how I felt that they told me where they, where they wanted to be, where they wanted to belong. And there would be some days, I had the experience, honestly, that there were a few times when I was stuck and I would have the experience when a book would fall off the shelf and open to a page and have that kind of experience. It wasn't, it wasn't often, but um, it happened enough for me to feel, to feel actually what that mechanism of guidance can be and how it can operate in our lives when, when we're open to it. I'm sure you've had the experience. Oh, well, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, something like that could happen to one person, have a book fall off the shelf, and they'll right away tell you all the uh, mechanical reasons why that could have happened. And they just completely don't even consider that there right. could have been, you know, metaphysical intervention, um, energies unseen that have the power to move you know, objects. Um, I know Lavendar tells the story of, of um, she had a, a videotape um, of Dennis Weaver building his his Earthship house. And uh-huh. um, Lavendar, I don't know if I'm getting the story quite right, but she was thinking about him, and and the videotape flew off the shelf and hit somebody in the head. <laughs> now that was just yeah, that was just you know unexplainable. But yes. the story goes something like that. But yeah, yeah, yes. you have to, you know, pay attention to things that that might be screaming for you that that are coming from somewhere else. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And and when we're open, we usually get the gift of tremendous guidance. But if, like you say, we try to talk ourselves out of it or just say, "Oh, that was some sort of fluke," we miss the bus. <laughs> Well, you know, and and that that's when the um the the male left brain takes over and and discounts anything metaphysical. That yeah. uh, that's a that's a program that has been instilled and ingrained in everybody for thousands of years. Let that, you know, let the left brain rule your life. 
right. pretty much. You know, I mean, a lot of people, not not so much star seeds, but a lot of people, <clears throat> that's all they know. Mm-hmm. And the the the, the feminine, intuitive, um, you know, prophetic side. Uh, that's it. Really needs a lot of healing. So. Uh, thankfully, there are millions and millions of star seeds who have that very mission. Yes. So everybody do their little part, and when you get all of us done, the 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 puzzle will be complete. Yes, indeed. So um, speaking of puzzles, um, you better make sure you give us an email when that board game is ready. <laughs> Don't you worry. We'll at reach the, out yeah. to uh, everyone we can think of, and as Lavendar said, it would be great to have... Uh, Karen and uh, and I back on the program to talk about it once we're able to talk about it in a really open way. That would be wonderful, but we'll definitely keep you posted. And gosh, it's been wonderful to, to hear all of your voices again and have a chance to connect. I'm very grateful to, to have oh, been well, able to be on your program again. As are we for your generous um, sharing of your work. And once just before we wrap up here, I want to um, let people know how to get a hold of you. So you, your website um, is julielor.com, and your blog is on satiyama.com, S-A-T-I-A-M-A. And um, <clears throat> you're still writing for Atlantis Rising? I am. Okay. So um, and if and people so want to contact you, you do private sessions as well? I do, and all of that information is on uh, on my website, uh, as long as with my email and phone and all of that. Uh, my email is my name, Julie Lore, at CenturyTel.net. It's not really an easy one, but CenturyTel.net, T-E-L, L. Right. Um, right. All my contact information is on my website. Uh, so hopefully, uh, and I'm. Listed, if somebody wants to look me up in some sort of phone book, I'm in southwest Colorado on Mountain Time Zone. So uh, uh, it's easy to get a hold of me. Yes, I do private sessions, and uh, I'm always happy and honored to do that. Well, excellent. Well, Julie, it has been a genuine pleasure to have you with us this evening, and we'll look forward to your next visit. October will be here before you know it. So, I know. Uh, we'll look forward to that. Posted, and yeah. I know Karen will as well. And her sister Susan, who is the co-owner of Satyama, is a huge fan of all of you, and I think listens uh, quite a bit. So um, uh, we'll get together again soon, and we'll definitely keep you posted on the game and new books and all of those things that uh, that are happening. Okay. Well, wonderful. All right. Wonderful. So thank, thank you, you so Arielle. much for Lovely being with us. With you. So uh, from all of us here at StarseedHotline.com, I'm sorry, Starseed Radio Academy, that was our website, um, we thank you for listening, and uh, you can join us again next week. And until we meet again, remember every day, think of something that you've got to be grateful for, and more good stuff will come. Until then, everyone, take care. Bye-bye. been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com.